Let's go to the book of Psalms, if you haven't turned there already. Psalm chapter 33. Chapter 33. I, uh, <laughs> I, I went on online and I listened to, to Hoyt's message from last week. And uh, I saw that because it was intriguing because I saw the title. Don't be a mule, right? I'm like, oh, okay, this is going to be interesting. And, and I'm glad he didn't call me a donkey or something. But uh, yeah, don't be a mule. And uh, we looked at that. And that was kind of a precursor to Psalm 20, 30, uh, 33. Uh, in fact, the last part of Psalm 32 it talks about rejoicing in the Lord and rejoicing because there's restoration brought in and brought on through repentance, right? When we repent, when we, we take our sins and we confess those sins and we make those right and we aren't stubborn and, and, and we want to go, we go to the Lord with that, he, he makes that right. Or we go to a person with that, there's, there's a, a sense of, of ease, of peace that is, a weight is lifted off of our shoulders. And now we can rejoice freely because God has, has worked reconciliation out or is working reconciliation out in our lives. So uh, thank you for the word on that, Hoyt. Today we're looking at Psalm 33, and this is a psalm of thanksgiving, a psalm of thanksgiving. And it's a song of thanksgiving about God's sovereign rule and his unfailing love. And we're going to look at that in depth today uh, and go through this entire psalm. Um, it, we're really not sure of the background of this psalm. We, we're, uh, it's, we don't really know uh, what the circumstances were that, that predicated this, this praise to be given or this, this psalm of thanksgiving to be written. Uh, it's possible, of course, that it was God's deliverance of Israel uh, over some threat that they had against them, because that was often the case. But whatever the case was, it was a call to worship in view of some attributes and characteristics of God. So I'm going to pray for us, and, and then I'm going to read the entire psalm, and then we'll break it apart, okay? Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the grace and the mercy that you have shown us and given us through Christ Jesus, our Lord. As we come together today, we come, God, not in some ritualistic way or some traditional way, God, or, or, or not in just some organized corporate way. God, we come as the body of Christ, the living, breathing body of Christ. We come here in honor of you, to glorify you, to lift you up, God, to give you all the praise. God, we want our lives to be centered on Jesus. We want to be led by your word now. And God, as we go to your word now, as we open it up, may you open our hearts and minds to be receptive. God, we want it. We want to yield ourselves to you and not, not our own will. So God, convict us of sin and, and God, draw us and drive us to a place of repentant faith in you. Restore the joy of our salvation that we might rejoice and lift you up because of all that you've done and, and all that you are. We thank you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this is Psalm 33. 1 through 22, we'll read the entire chapter. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous ones. Praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with a lyre. Make music with him with a ten-stringed harp. Sing a new song to him. Play skillfully on the strings with a joyful shout. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is trustworthy. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of of the Lord's unfailing love. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the seas into a heap, he puts, uh, and he puts the depths into storehouses. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke, and it came into being. He commanded, and it came into existence. The Lord frustrates the counsel of the nations, he thwarts the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation 
to generation. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen to be his own possession. The Lord looks down from heaven. He observes everyone. He gazes on all the inhabitants of the earth from his dwelling place. He forms the hearts of them all. He considers all their works. A king is not saved by a large army. A warrior is not rescued by great strength. The horse is a false hope for safety. It provides no escape by its great power. But look, the Lord keeps his eye on those who fear him, those who depend on his faithful love to rescue them from death and to keep them alive in famine. We wait for the Lord. He is our help and shield. For our hearts rejoice in him because we trust in his holy name. May your faithful love rest on us, Lord, for we put our hope in you. This is the word of God. Well, today we're going to look at this in depth, and, and really we're going to look at this, this call to rejoice. The sermon title today is Rejoice in the Lord, or Shout to the Lord. It was almost like a war cry that would go out, and, and, and they, they kept that in there. That language was shout. We want to make sure everyone knows and everyone hears that we are fighting, that we are living, that we are trusting ourselves to the Lord, and that He is our victory. We see this call to worship. Let's look, at, let's look at this call to worship in verses 1 through 3. There's a call to worship, and then there's reasons we're going to see to worship. So the call to worship is this. Rejoice in the Lord, it says, right? Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous ones. Now, it was a, it was a, a conversation. This was a, a plea and encouragement with those who put their trust in the Lord. It's much like Psalm 23. I preached on this before, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And it goes on and on. But the promises that are all the way through Psalm 23 are only for those who what? Who have the Lord as their shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And, and, and when that is right, when I've come to him in faith and he's my shepherd, now everything else I can claim as a promise. And now when we worship, the, the, I don't go to the world and say, oh, you worship God, worship God. Those who, who don't have faith, who don't, who don't have a reason to worship, right? Now certainly we can look around and see all the attributes of God and his glory and be drawn to him. They're all fingers pointing to the majesty and the glory of the creator who is to be forever praised. But for you and I, the righteous ones, we are not righteous on our own. We are righteous through faith in the son. And they, they were righteous here. And, and, and because of that righteousness that wasn't for you or wasn't because of you and wasn't because of me, we're called to rejoice. Rejoice, you righteous ones, not self-righteous, but the righteous ones that, that are righteous because of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with a lyre. Make music to him with a ten-stringed harp. Now, this, this gets into some worship details. We're to sing and shout for joy. We're to, to praise him. And sometimes, well, I just do it quietly in my heart. I, I get it. And I talked about this during our Revelation, uh, the Letters to the Churches in Revelation uh, series. We really need, so one of the things we can see in our own heart about whether we're lukewarm or not, or where our heart really is, is if we're actually singing. Because if, if we have the Lord, right, if we are changed by the Lord, if we're fed by Him and nourished by Him, that is going to what? It's going to overflow. And, and if, if I'm not singing, it's not overflowing. And you go, well, I don't have a very good voice. It's okay. Sing, make a joyful noise. Rejoice in the Lord. Shout for joy. You know, sometimes people say, well, Brandon, is it okay to say amen? After you're preaching something, can I say amen? I hope so. I sure hope so. If that's how you feel, say amen. 
Right? As, long, as long as we as a body come together and we're not distracting one another with our, with our form of worship, we're here to, t- yes, amen. If you're singing and you're raising your hand or if you're bowing down, or whatever it might be, there's a response and overflow from our heart to the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. It says praise Him with a lyre. Make music to Him with a ten-stringed harp. We play instruments. We have instruments to play. And you can go do a deeper dive on that if you want to. There's lots in the Scripture about that. In verse 3, this, you're not going to like this, some of you. Right? Sing a new song to him. Sing a new song to him. That's tough, huh? I, I hear sometimes, why do we sing all these new songs? Because Scripture says to do it. We sing, we're singing, and now, now let me qualify that, though. I still think as we sing songs to the Lord, there are new songs, right? If, if you're a songwriter or you're a musician, God's going to give you a, a song, a thought from the Word and from His Spirit, and you're going to write it down, you're going to play it. You might sing it. Go for it. There's a new song there. But as we come together for congregational worship, those new songs have a criteria, right? Those new songs have to be biblical. Like you, there's no question where that came from. There's no question that this is God's word. And it has to be accessible, right? If I have a new song that has so many different changes in it and you can't sing it and I can't sing it, it ain't going to be sung here, right? Amen. Thank you. There's our amen. But a new song is absolutely, how many of you noticed even the new songs, some of the new songs that come up, you're like, Wait a minute, I know that, that song sounds familiar. A couple weeks ago, right? We sing, this is the day that the Lord has made. Remember that? I will rejoice. That's a, that's a new song to an old song we used to sing. And we're like, wait, wait a minute. It sounds familiar. It, it is. It's the Bible, right? It's scripture. We're singing scripture to one another, but it's something new. And, and, and why do we need that sometimes? Why is that important for a new song, you think? What's that? Get out of a rut. Yeah, get out of a rut. We could sing the same old thing over and over so many times. It's like, I'm not even singing anymore. I'm just saying it out my mouth. right? I, w- I want it to come from here. So he says, sing a new song. Rejoice. Sing a new song. It doesn't mean old songs aren't good. It doesn't mean the old tradition isn't good. I mean, this book of Psalms was a hymnal. That, that was their book that they sang from. And then they wrote new ones and new ones and new ones. And they still went back to the old ones as well. But they need to be biblical and accessible then it's important, and that accessibility plays skillfully on the strings, right? Sometimes when I'm playing worship or leading worship, I'm like, I'm just going to stop playing my guitar now because I'm not so skilled at this, right? The song or whatever it is, or the chords, like I'll just sing and not play. And sometimes like, I'll play, right? S- s- uh, play, play skillfully, or then have a joyful shout. Again, another joyful shout. This is a call to worship, right? Now, as we go into the rest of this, let's look at why. Why are we called to worship? What, what is the psalmist telling the congregation? Here's why we should worship. Well, number one, let's look at number one. We worship or rejoice in the Lord for his word and his works. For his word and for his works. Now, I put those two together. You can think, well, those are two different points. Well, they're, they're not because his word and his works are inseparable. They are inseparable. Think about that. If, if he had words only with no works, what is that? What is that? It's a voice only. It's what? Just lip service, right? It's, it's, there's, it's empty, isn't it? It's empty. How many of us like, like say that? Like, like you got you to gotta walk, you you walk the walk, right? Or, or you gotta walk the talk. Like you don't just get to say it. We got to see it. We had this in Sunday school today, and Paul was talking to the Corinthian church saying, I'm, I'm coming, and you say a bunch of stuff, but I'm going to come, and we're going to see for real what, what really is happening, because I'm going to see how you work and how you, how you actually operate here. Right? Same with God. If God just had words with no active activity, then it would be empty. That's not God at all, is it? 
So we praise him for his word and his works. Look at verses 4 through 9 in our text. The psalmist says, For, so we rejoice, for the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is trustworthy. See it right there? They're linked together. The word of the Lord is right, and all the works he has are trustworthy. And I think it's because, because the word of the Lord is right, the counsel of God is right, what he ordains, what he establishes is right, what he says is right, and then all his works line up with that, and they are trustworthy. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the Lord's unfailing love. This is where you say, amen. This, it, this is so important for us to get in this ver- first two verses here, four and five. It's the word of the Lord is right. His work is trustworthy. He loves righteousness and justice. Is that just a, a fanciful idea for God? Like, like a word, word lip service? I love justice and I love righteousness. No, how did he act on that? He, he saw a sinful humanity. And in his justice and his righteousness, he put his wrath on Jesus. He, he was active with that, wasn't he? He says, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And we are condemned by our own sin. But Jesus came in to save us because of God's unfailing love. He sent Jesus, right? This, this, this has to go together, right? So God loves us. We say God loves us. How? John 3, 16, God loved us in this way, that he sent his one and only son, right? To die for us, to be the propitiation, the, 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 the atonement for our sin, that for all who believe in him, they would not perish, but have eternal life. So our trust goes to him because of his word, and on the top of his word are his actions. They are linked together. Thank you. He loves righteousness and justice, and it's un- uh, the earth is full of his unfailing love. Uh, this is a really good thing to cue in on. As we go through the rest of this text, you're going to see the earth is full, or all of the world, or all of the inhabitants. We're going to see that. Here's what this means. It's not localized. Right? Someone might be tuning in on, on YouTube eventually, or they're across the world, or wherever they are. God's truth, God's righteousness, his trustworthiness, his unfailing love is all across the earth. It's not, it's universal. It's for, available for everyone who would repent and believe. But the call is from a God who sits on his throne in heaven and can judge the whole of the earth. The call is from him. The call is not from our mayor, right? The call is not from our county supervisors or, or the call is not from our governor or, or even our president, right? The call is, is God and God is over all. And his unfailing love is on all of the earth. Verse 6, the heavens were made, right? That's the work of God, the making, by what? His word, by the word of the Lord. The word and, and works inseparable. And the stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water, this gathering, his work of the, of the sea into a heap. He puts the depths into storehouses. Verse 8, let the whole earth fear the Lord. So this is, this is that what should we do with that? What should we do with this totality of this awesome, amazing God creator whose words and works are inseparable? We should tremble. We should tremble at that. But whatever you're trusting in that's not God, whatever you're putting your hopes in that's not God, whatever, whatever you, uh, status you think you have on your own that's really worthless, this should make us tremble. Because God, the God of the whole universe, is the one who's reaching out to us with his unfailing love. What should we do? Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all, all, here it is, all the inhabitants 
of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came into being. He commanded and it came into existence. He is God. He is a creator and he is over all of his creation. So we fear and we, we put our faith in him. We stand in awe of him. His justice, his righteousness, his creative dominion display his unfailing love for us that we might taste and see that he is good. It's, it's neat. You think about this idea of taste and see, God's, God's works, God's, God's love for us. You know how, how we see God's unfailing love? We think about psalms like this can sometimes be, well, so judgmental. This is so like he just wants us to shape up or ship out. No, this is in his unfailing love for us, right? Imagine if we lived, the whole earth was just a desolate wasteland, barren, desolate wasteland, okay? And there was no color. It was all grayscale all the time. That's, that's horrible, right? But in his unfailing love, in his infinite wisdom, he created seasons and mountains and valleys and colors for us to see and sunsets and sunrises. Praise God. Praise God. Rejoice. He is creator. Right? What, if, what, if, what if pizza tasted like kale? I'm saying, right? What kind of loving God is that? Right? No, that's okay. I, I'm okay with kale. It's a superfood. No, but you see what it's like? We have taste buds, right? We have we have sight, we have smell, we have taste, we can hear and listen. To, like even just closing your eyes and listening to a to a pianist play a, a part as part of this awesome composition, right? Or, or or on your radio, you're listening to music, or or it's just that's that's God creating, and that's His unfailing love being given to people, and He and He wants that that amazingness, that amazing creation, the amazing beauty, the things we taste and smell and touch and, and hear and and see. All, we, he wants that to be something that points us to Him, that we would fear and tremble, that we would stand before Him in awe, that we would come to Him in faith, and that we would worship him because of his works. Psalm 119, the Lord, or Lord, your word, here's your word, is forever. It is firmly fixed in heaven. Your faithfulness is for all generations. You establish the earth and it stands firm. Your judgments stand firm today, for all things are your servants. Again, this is a very important thing to understand for us. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is not changing, and he is not changing his mind. And we live in such a society who wants to say, oh, it was for then. Oh, it's, it's been so long. Things have changed. Culture has changed. Oh, it was just written by people. Obviously, it's fallible. These three little verses in Psalm 119 would disagree with that. The Lord, your word is fixed or is forever, right? It's forever, it's eternal. It is firmly fixed in heaven. Nothing can usurp it. Some, this week I had a conversation, we had a, a movie night uh, down here, a young adult movie night, and we talked about um, just how, some God things from scripture, how, how we can look at that uh, movies or media f- uh, from a, world, or a, a, sorry, a Christian point of view. But the, the question was this, like how do we know God's, God's word is, is like accurate or it's right? I mean, there's different translations and different ways to kind of, kind of translate and go back to that. And, and I, that's a great question, right? But 
But we have, we have not only his word, we have a spirit that will both come together on that. And, and, and one of the things, here's what I would tell you. A God that we come together today to honor and serve and worship has to be big enough to have his word firmly fixed. Right? I mean, if he can't do that for us, is he worth worshiping? Is he really God? I would say no. The God who can firmly fix his word and firmly let his word be, be all throughout every, through all generations, firmly planted forever, that's the God I want to serve. Right? And if, if there's no way for us to know, no way for us to truly believe that, and, and then we should just abandon this whole thing we're doing now and go do something else. But we know better than that. We know that because he convinces that. He, 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 his spirit tells us that. And, and we know it. We see it. And we see the word of God being displayed. And we see the word of God being read and taught and, and studied and understood. And we see our delight increasing in it. And we see it making sense of the world around us perfectly when everyone else can't seem to make sense of the world. It does it stands firm he says your ju- his judgments stand firm today for all things are your servants he stands firm so again what does it mean for us uh, dave holst read this in psalm 111 as we started this morning hallelujah it says psalm 111 one through four hallelujah i will praise the lord with all my heart so this is this is the connection what are his works doing they're they're connecting with our hearts right i will praise the lord with all my heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation, the Lord's works are great, studied by all who delight in them. See, God's word will increase our delight. God's works increase our dependence on him, and our delight is increased. All that he does is splendid and majestic. His righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. That's something for us as well. What does, it, what does it mean for us? That we can look back and see his faithfulness enduring from generation to generation and to be remembered. And, and remember, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, the psalmist says. Gracious and compassionate. This is, what we're, this is what's happening to our heart. We're, we're seeing the graciousness of God, the, the splendor of God, his majesty, and our hearts are delighting in him and we're, as we remember him. Verse 7, I'm just picking a couple of these. Uh, the works of his hands are truth and justice. And all his instructions are trustworthy. They're all trustworthy. So I don't know who you're trusting in right now. I don't know what, if you think the government's going to save you or help you or, or give you all these insights. Or if your friends are, or your family, or your parents, or your grandparents, or your, or your, they're your kids. I don't know. Or a relationship, a spouse. Stop. That's not where we trust. He is trustworthy. He is trustworthy, and he wants us to know that. That's why we praise him. He is trustworthy. And then, again, that response should be that fear the Lord, awe awe in front of him. Uh, Verse 10, Psalm 111, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow, this is great, this is the promise, all who follow, all who follow, his instructions have good insight, right, And, and, and have their heart firmly planted where they need to be in God's gracious compassion, uh, compassionate heart. And, and their delight is in Him. They have good, good insight. And it says His praise endures forever. And we're sinful and separated from God. But that's His word. The, the promise is, the work of God is that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. That you could have faith in Him and trust in Him and be forgiven. To fear the Lord, to have awe in Him and to follow Him. All those who follow Him and and, and put their hope in him will be secure. And what, what does it do? Fear, that kind of fear, that reverence, and that kind of faith 
it produces praise in God's people. It should produce praise in God's people. Not because you had a Band-Aid put on a big, open, gushing wound, but because you had, you had major surgery, and he took care of it all, and, and, and you were clean before him. That's what he's done. The beauty of God's word, seen and shown through God's works, should bring about a deeply delighted worship from God's people. When we see God's word, and we see his works matching up with that, and we, we understand that that was for us who would believe in him, that should lead us to a delighted worship, to rejoice in the Lord. So we rejoice in the Lord for his works and his word. Number two, we rejoice in the Lord for his triumphant will, for his triumphant will. Let's look at verses 10 through 11, or 10 through 12 here in Psalm 33. The Lord, it says, frustrates the counsel of the nations. He thwarts the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. How happy is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen to be his own possession. This is an amazing thing. Now, we're not going to go deeply into this doctrine. It's, it's wide open, a lot of conversation and, and good debate to have about it. But, but God's will wins. What God wants, he gets. Do you understand that? And, and when it says, the, the Lord frustrates the counsels of the nations, we look around and say, oh man, this is out of control. What is going on? I can't believe this is happening. Like God's far off his throne. Now we can be in despair. We can say, man, I, I don't like this. I don't like that this is how this is going on. This, this grieves the heart of God. I know it does. But God is still in control. God is still in command. God is still on his throne. And he is frustrating the counsel of the nations. He is thwarting the plans of the people. You ever have, have your plans thwarted before? I just went on a two-week vacation with my family and my kids, right? Talk about thwarted plans. I mean, you, you try to make one plan, and you're doing something different all the time, right? But it's, it's good. If we would live our lives like that, like, God, we're going to let you have your way. That means I can stop kicking and screaming for mine, and, and it would go much better for me. But he, he frustrates the council of nations. He thwarts the plans of the people. We see this kind of same language in Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Why do the nations rage? And the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed. Now we know that they, they plot, and they, they conspire, and they reject. We know that. The psalmist is saying they are doing it in what? In vain. It is not going to do anything for them. They are, their plans will not be carried out. They will not have the final say. God will always have the final say there. He, his the counsel of the Lord in our Psalm 33 is what stands forever. The nations, the kings, they plot in vain. But he's also triumphant over his people, over you and I. There is a will of God here. We see that, that happy is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people that he has chosen to be his own possession. And, and we're going to read a passage out of Ephesians. Go ahead and turn there, if you would, in your Bible. Keep your, your finger here or your ribbon in, in Psalm 33. But go to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at, at, at how God is, is, how his counsel stands forever and, and how, how it's firm and how his choosing is firm. And we're going to look at what that means for, for you and I as people who have put our hope and trust and faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. What does it mean? So Ephesians 1, 5 through 16. Actually, I'm going to read verses 3 through 16. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. So the blessing has been given to us through Christ. For he chose us in him 
Like God was, God was choosing us, right? Grabbing onto us through his majestic power that, that his counsel stands forever. Before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. Verse 5, he predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters through Christ Jesus for himself. A people for his own possession. He was gathering according to what? To the good pleasure of his will. It's very much in Psalm 33. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. That the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace that he has lavished on us in the beloved one. Right again, the, the love of God being lavished on us throughout the whole earth is in Christ Jesus. Verse 7. In him, that's Jesus, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This is his love, this is his work, this is his word given to you and I, that he richly poured out on us through all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will. What's the mystery of the will? will? Like God's going to prevail. How? I don't get it, I don't know, but he does, and he prevailed over my heart. The mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan at the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. Verse 11, here, here's kind of the crux that's built up to this. In him, in him we also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works everything out in agreement with the purpose of his will. Like, whoa, what, what happened there? What is going on there? And, that, and we're not gonna, we don't need to debate, oh, well, is it, do we have free choice? Can we, can we, do, we, do we need to repent and turn? Do we need to believe? Yes. Does he choose? Yes. We can, there's a lot to talk about there. But, but he did this so that, in verse 12, we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. Here's what I want you to understand from this. So, so we know that God's triumphant over the nations. The nations aren't going to thwart God's plans, right? They can't do that. But here's the, here's the amazing blessing for you and I, and, and it should be a call to worship for you and I. This world, these nations, your family, your friends, your enemy, nothing will thwart God's plan as he pursues you and your heart. Nothing will get in the way of that. What he calls you and I to do is to believe, to respond to him. And no matter what happens in this world, no matter what the kings of the world, our friends, our enemies do to us, no matter the circumstances of our life, he stands firm. And he is the one who who will come and rescue our heart and rescue our soul and forgive us our sin as we come to him in repentant faith saying, God, I'm done holding on to what I thought was important. I'm done holding on to what I thought would save. I'm done holding on to me. I want you. And what God is promising here, what God is promising is that nothing will get in the way of that. That he will have the last say when it comes to your heart. And he will, not one person will be without excuse when they stand before him. That he will not be thwarted. Aren't you glad that nothing can get in the way of those who will put their faith in God? Aren't you glad for that? That should cause us to rejoice. There's going to be a lot of things that hit us as we hit out these doors. A lot of things that, that want to derail us and want us to question or want to, make, want to make us doubt. There's going to be a lot of that going on. But aren't you glad that nothing can get in the way of those who put their faith in God? No king or ruler, no friend or enemy. When you are his, you are his. So we praise. So we praise. That's a reason to praise. Finally, our last reason to praise, going back to Psalm 33, <clears throat> We praise, we rejoice in the Lord for his discerning and watchful eye. We rejoice in the Lord for his discerning and watchful eye. Look at verses 13 through 19 with me. 
The Lord looks down from heaven. He observes everyone. Again, this is not local. This is all over the earth. He gazes on all the inhabitants of the earth from his dwelling place. He forms the hearts of them all. He considers all their works. Let's stop there for a minute. There's three alls here we see. It is not an accident. And in the next couple of verses, there's three greats we'll see. What we understand here is that all is meant to contrast the narrow judgment of humankind. Like we can see some and we get an idea of maybe mostly or, or this is how I like it more often than not. But all of those are nothing when it comes to the counsel of God and what he, dece- or, uh, what he discerns. He discerns all. And we talked about this also in our series on the, churches, the, the letters to the churches in Revelation, right? We, we talked about the God, the God that knows, the God that sees, that you and I can't hide. He knows our heart. He knows our motives. He knows what we're willing to suffer for. All of those he knows statements, right? He knows. He discerns. And, and it's, it, it should be scary for those who are on, not on his side, right? Because for a God who discerns, he understands exactly what you're up to. He understands exactly what you think you're, you're, uh, is going to save you and what will actually not save you. And, and that you are going to be accountable to him because he's over all, right? So that's, that can be scary, but it also can be liberating when he knows all. Some of us look around and we think, how in the world is this happening? How in the world is this going on? I don't understand how they're getting away with this. Guess what? God knows. And they will give an account for that. There will be a reckoning. It, it, it may not be tomorrow. It may not be next week. Satan may deceive so many that they elevate their status. But there will be a day when God has his way. Because he discerns all, everyone. So this contrasts the narrow judgment of man. He is all discerning. He's the only one that's all discerning. And we talk about all discerning also. This connects back to his word. This connects back to his works. When we think about our, our positions, or we think about our, our preferences, or we think about our politics, or all, any other P words we have there. When we think about those things, and what informs those things, we really need to do better at humbling ourselves and saying, you know what? I probably could, most likely, yeah, definitely have it wrong. But I know who has it right, because he is over all of it. He has all of the say. He has all of the truth. He has all of the justice. He has all of the righteousness. And what he says stands forever. And, and you and I might balk at that and say, oh, well, culture, again, going back to those excuses we have, a well, culture or time or it means something different or that word, that's obsolete or whatever we want to say. Oh, we'll look at this one verse here and uh, we'll not look at the totality of Scripture. That's, that's dangerous for us. It, it, it's dangerous for us who are, are bucking the word but for those who trust and love the Word of God, it is so freeing and liberating. Because you know what? You don't have to have the answer. You don't have to know exactly what's right. Because you, guess what? You know the one who does. And you can go to his Word. So when I have questions and people come to talk, Brandon, what about politics? What about this position? What about Roe v. Wade? What about whatever? I say, well, let me tell you what I think. No, no. I say, you know what God's Word says? Let's go see what God's Word says says because it is eternal it will last forever and this god our god is over and and discerns over all the inhabitants and affairs of the people and his word his word is the last word over all 
of the entire earth. Not just in our local, you know, red-blue states. Not like that, right? It's always going to be everywhere. All. He has this discerning presence. He watches. He looks down. He penetrates to the heart. He knows. Verse 16. This is the next three we see. A king is not saved by a large or great, the word great, army. A warrior will not be rescued by great strength. The horse is a false hope for safety. It provides no escape by its great power. See the three greats right there? Great army, great strength, great power. We trust in that all the time, right? Whose military is the best? That's, that's who's going to win. Not necessarily. We see it in the Bible all the time that that's not the case. Well, you know why? Because God wins. God wins. And, and what we see is, he, what he's saying is, you think that's great. You think that's great. You think armies are great. And you think great strength is great. You think power, great power is great. You know what's greater? He is. He is greater. Not only is he all discerning and, and judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, and not only is he, is he his truth over all the entire earth, he is the only one that is truly great. He is all prevailing. He will prevail. So if, if we can't trust maybe our own ideas, our own, our own morality, if we can't trust our own strength, our own armies, our own governments, then the question is, what can we trust in? The Word of God, the Spirit of God. We can trust in God. Look at verse 18. But look, but look. We see these people who are thinking they're all that and thinking they're all powerful, but look, the Lord keeps His eye on those who fear him. This is the freedom watch. This is the watch where, where we're like, thank you for watching over us, right? In verse 13, it was like, oh man, the Lord looks down and watches from heaven. He discerns from heaven. He knows what's going on in our hearts. Oh no. This verse is, is a, a difference on there. It's contrast. The Lord keeps his eye. He's watchful on those who fear him. Deuteronomy says, in the land uh, the Lord your God cares for, he'll always be watching over it. This is a, a trait of God. He's watching over his people, his church. Second Chronicles, for the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. He is watchful over all the earth. So he keeps his eye on those who fear him. He knows, he sees he says, those who depend on his faithful love. He's watching out for us as we depend on him. And what do we depend on him to do? This is verse, verse 19. To rescue them from death or to rescue their soul from death and keep them alive in family. You know, we're going to face hardships all around in our lives. But when we come to Christ in faith, when we trust him to forgive and to give us a righteousness that we never earned on our own, when we put our trust and hope in him, he will watch over us. He will guard. He will keep our souls secure. No matter what happens here, he's not promising, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get, get you out of every little battle, every little skirmish, every little weird, bad circumstance in your life is going to go away. It's not what he says at all. But what he says is, above all, I'm above all of that stuff. I'm I'm operating from heaven watching this. I'm watching over you. And what I'm going to do is you put your trust in me. I'm going to hold your soul tight. And again, going back to his will, his, it can't be thwarted, right? No, nothing is going to, to, to separate you from God's love because his will, the counsel of his will. He wants to rescue us from death to keep us alive in famine. Now, now so how does this, 
how does this rejoicing sandwich end? That's what we need to find out. That's what this is, a rejoicing sandwich. We started the verse, uh, first three vo- verses with rejoice, and then we had a bunch of good meat in the middle. And then the other side is the other side of the sandwich about rejoicing. Let's look at that. Let's go to verse 20. So we looked at how, how we're to rejoice, right? We're to rejoice because of his word and his works. We're to rejoice because of his triumphant will. And we're to rejoice because of his discerning and watchful eye. And what, how does this end? Verse, verse 20. So, right, we wait for the Lord he is our help and shield, for our, heart rejo- our hearts rejoice in Him, because we trust in His holy name. Amen. May your faithful love rest on us, Lord, for we put our hope in You. Here's what worship does, and, and what we see even here. We, we start out with a call to worship. It says, worship, rejoice, you righteous ones. And it's, it's a reminder that you've been made new by Christ, and you should rejoice. And then as we rejoice, we're reminded in our rejoicing of what he's done and, and the power of his word and the, and the power of his works. Where we see his will is ultimately never thwarted and that he has his hand secure on us, that he sees all that's going on around us. And as we worship him and rejoice in this, our joy is what? It's increasing. Our hope is increasing. And this is what it is. We, we put our hope in him. Our joy increases. Our hope increases. And we know that he is a God worthy of all praise. And it's an awesome cycle. And as we increase in rejoicing, we're increasing in that because of what we remember and know about God. And because of what we know and, and remember about God, our hope increases and we rejoice. And it should continue to bubble up in us. And there are times, I get it, there are times of our, that, that, that dry spell in our life, in our heart. That time where we're like, I, I don't quite feel it, I don't quite know it, I don't know what to do next. Where we need the reminder again, go back to the text, go back to a friend, turn on a worship song, crank it up real loud so you can sing as loud as you want. And not hear yourself sing, right? Remember what we're worshiping, why we're worshiping, who we're worshiping. It's so important for us. We rejoice in the Lord and for what he has done. A couple of elements in this, this final verse. We rejoice in him because we trust in his holy name. We have to trust, right? We, we, we put our trust in him. We said, God, you're, you're everything to us. We're going to put our trust and our hope in you, you have done everything that we can't accomplish on our own. You're the one who sent Christ to, be my, to, be in my, to die in my place. I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to trust in him. I rejoice because I trust in him, not myself. And then it says, there's this prayer at the very end. May, may your faithful love, God. And this word, faithful love, this goes way back, right? This is hesed love. God's hesed love is faithful love. This is that, that amazing covenant, enduring from forever to forever love that he's established on us. May your faithful love, God, rest on us, Lord. May it, it needs to be a reminder on us that God's love, his unfailing love, is still resting on us. And that's where our hope is, for we put our hope in you. So, we've, so you see that, that hope increases and, and our trust increases, our faith increases, and then he puts his love on us, and then that makes us hope even more and have more joy, and then we rejoice. This is what we are called to do. We know we have peace with God through our faith in Him. We'll see that in, in, in uh, Romans 5. Right now, I'm going to read this verse. Romans 5. It's not just 5, 5. It's 5, 1 through 5. So therefore, since we have been justified by faith, right, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God's, God's justified us. We've expressed faith in Him. He's washed us clean. He's pardoned us from our sin. And says we have peace with God. And we've also obtained access through him by faith into the grace in which we stand. 
We have access to this grace, this unfailing love to be lavished out on us. And therefore, it says we boast. And we boast. What is, what is a good boast? It's a good praise song. That's what a good boast is. Right? So we worship. We praise. We boast. We brag on Jesus. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our affliction. So this is that life in the middle. This is that, that rejoicing sandwich, all the stuff that's happening, but we know God prevails. We boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction will produce endurance and endurance will produce proven character and proven character produces hope, right? More hope and hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, hope doesn't disappoint and, and, and the whole gist of this is to humble ourselves and know that he's the God over all and that as he pursues us in his amazing will that cannot be thwarted as we turn to him in in repentant faith and trust that he forgives that he washes us white as snow that will bring peace in our hearts with God and it will increase our hope in him and we will rejoice amen we will rejoice why don't you stand with me and we're going to close in prayer and and have an opportunity just to respond with worship, with rejoicing, as we should here at the end of our service. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you so much for your love and your grace. We thank you that you are a God who cannot be thwarted, even by our own will. But God, you are a God who pursues us. You're a God who chooses us. You're a God who has died for us and made a way for us through repentant faith to come to you for forgiveness, to be, to be made clean, to be washed white as snow. And God, as, as we have entered into that relationship, uh, God, for, I, I would say many of us here have entered into that relationship with you. There is now a peace and a hope that endures. And God, as that hope endures and increases, may we be reminded of the goodness of God. That not only is there goodness in your word, it's in your works. God, it's in your will. God, that you discern and you watch over us, and we are so thankful for that. And God, for that, we want to worship you. So help us now respond out of the overflow of the heart in worship of you. We pray, pray in Jesus' name.